Amen. If you would please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27, verse 55 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Matthew 27, 55. And following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri. <clears throat> Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by post, putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Amen. Uh, remind you of Paul's summary of the gospel in First uh, Corinthians 15. I received what I also passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And as we've been working through the Passion, we considered... His, his death last week, this, today, this morning, his burial. Uh, we're in the middle of that. Uh, we begin, or I begin the account um, in verse 55, which is really part of the conclusion to his death. And it's an account of those women who were there uh, that were watching from a distance, Galilean women who had followed Jesus and been servants trying to help him in whatever needs he had. Uh, there are they are women with, in whom Jesus had done blessings, uh, maybe some miracle in their life. Uh, there was Mary Magdalene. Uh, there was Mary, uh, the mother of Joseph and James. We don't know much about her, but perhaps her sons were uh, prominent in the early church. Uh, and then there was the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, her name given in another context, Salome. And the, the reason that Matthew's citation of these is important is because they are eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and his, and his burial, and his resurrection. And so they became crucial witnesses, firsthand witnesses, to all the redemptive event in the life of the early church. They could testify, I was there. I saw these things happen. 
And so they're included in Matthew's account as a reminder of their role and the importance of their role as eyewitnesses to all that happened. So there are two things I want to direct your thoughts to as we work through this account of Jesus' burial. One is the description of the burial itself uh, to reflect on that particular account. But then the second thing, and perhaps more, even more importantly, is I want to reflect on that interchange between the chief priests and Pilate and that they made the tomb as secure as they knew how. <clears throat> but from verses 57 to 61, we have the account of the actual burial itself. Jesus has died. And uh, it's common for uh, um, the family to request burial, except that in the case of someone who was executed uh, by crucifixion or just executed for a crime that it was a crime worthy of death, the death wasn't, in the crucifixion, wasn't the final act of humiliation. But they, the, the, the person executed was not to be buried, uh, was not allowed to be buried. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus says people sentenced to death forfeited their property and were forbidden burial. It was not uncommon for those who were crucified to be left on the cross, their bodies to be consumed by animals or thrown into uh, just a, a, a garbage heap, uh, their bodies to be thrown there. And when the magistrate was going to be willing to give the body for burial, uh, the uh, family could come and request that, except for someone who was executed for high treason. The magistrate didn't have a lot of flexibility there uh, to allow the body to be buried. But here in this case, the family, J Jesus' brothers and sister, probably were nowhere to be found. <clears throat> His mother, most likely exhausted from all the uh, circumstances of the day. And so here this man, Joseph of Arimathea, comes to request the body from Pilate. Joseph is a member of the Sanhedrin, a respected member of the Jewish community. And yet him coming to request Jesus' body was a very bold thing to do because he was identifying himself with this person, this crucified man, uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would have been a bold thing. The Sabbath was approaching. They needed to get the bodies off the crosses. That's why they broke the legs of the other two thieves so they would die quickly. They didn't have to do that with Jesus because he was already dead. Pilate, Pilate was surprised. And Mark, it tells us that he sent to the soldiers, is he really dead? And, and they said, yes, he is. And so Pilate, in his discretion, gives the body to Joseph. He takes the body, and even though it's reference to Joseph alone, it's not likely he did it alone himself. He probably had <clears throat> servants that helped him take the body down. We know that Nicodemus came along with spices to help prepare the body for burial. Uh, they would have washed the body, wrapped it in the linen, and there was a, an abandoned stone quarry not too far away in which 
Joseph had a tomb that had been hewed out of the stone and he put Jesus' body in that tomb. Typically in the first century when people were buried, they just put a slab of stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. Here there was a a place for a, a circular stone like a grinding stone, a large one that would uh, be rolled into place. Uh, It would have been something that it could have been rolled in perhaps somewhat easily, but you wouldn't have been able to get it back out of place without several people uh, working on that. And so we have the conclusion of the burial in verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, probably the Mary, the mother of Joseph and James, uh, James, who were sitting there opposite the tomb. Again, why is that important? Why does Matthew include that? Because he wants you to understand there were eyewitnesses to these events. And these same women women that saw him crucified and die saw him buried and subsequently will see him raised from the dead. And so this ends the passion narrative of Jesus' burial. But Matthew doesn't stop there. He includes some other information. And we know the Bible is a serious book, but there are places where there's elements of humor that are part of the Bible, humorous things that are said. Even Jesus' comment about, you know, when you went out to John the Baptist, did you go out to see this person dressed in silk clothes? No, it was a guy who was wearing sackcloth. He was wearing uh, uh, a fur garment. He was a rough man. He wasn't a weak man. At any rate, we have in this section here a request by the chief priest to Pilate and his response that has to be nothing less than uh, a ridicule, humor, Jesus has died. He's been buried. In verse 62, we're told the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been risen from the dead, the last deception will be worse than the first. Well, in response to them, in response to them, Pilate replies, take a guard, go and make the the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and they secured the tomb, they put a, a Roman seal on it, and they posted a guard. So what is it that Pilate was getting at when he said, you have a guard, uh, go make the tomb as secure as you know how? Well, Matthew Henry has two thoughts on this, two suggestions. One is, it's, he says, first, either Pilate is laughing at the priests for their foolishness. On the one hand, that's one idea. I mean, how stupid it is to guard a dead man. What kind of problem can a dead man give you? He's dead. 
He's not going to move anywhere. He's not going to go anywhere. If he was a dead, wealthy person, you might worry someone would come and rob whatever precious jewels you put in the, the tomb with him. But he, this, Jesus is a poor man. He's got nothing. So to guard a dead man, that's absurd. And that Matthew Henry continues, or more likely he's mocking them for their fears. What are you afraid of? Uh, you have all the power and authority in this region. What are you afraid of? Well, that's the question I want to ask. What is it that they were afraid of? Were they really afraid of the disciples? I mean, think of it. The disciples, when Jesus had been arrested, uh, they fled. They were nowhere to be found. Peter and John made their way to where the trial was going on, but they weren't any help to Jesus. In fact, Peter even denied the Lord. The only one of the disciples that made their way to the crucifixion was John. Who were the disciples to be feared? And if they were really worried about what they might do, they had soldiers at their disposal. They could have taken a group of soldiers and arrest, rounded them all up, arrested them and put them in jail, and they wouldn't have had to worry about it. What are they worried about? Why are they worried about the disciples? Who are the disciples that they're worried about them to come steal the body? They, they wouldn't happen. They didn't have to happen, wouldn't have happened. What they actually were afraid of, though they would never have wanted to admit this, what they were actually afraid of is the resurrection. They had been watching Jesus for three years. They had seen him give sight to the blind, heal the sick, cast out the demons, restore the lame. And the most recent miracle that was the greatest wonder of them all, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. That was an undeniable, well-attested miracle that he had performed. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees, though they would not have admitted it, would have had that nagging thought, could this one who had done all those wonderful and great miracles, could he indeed rise from the dead? And that would overthrow their entire plan to be rid of him. Their entire desire to be rid of him. So they made this tomb as secure as they knew how. They put that seal on the tomb, which would have been a great, a, a, a terrible punishment to anybody who broke that seal except the proper authority. They posted a guard to be there to protect them. But the thing that I would like you to think about as we think about all that they did to make the tomb as secure as they know, know how was to understand the absolute futility of unbelief. They went through all these preparations and there is nothing that you or I can do to thwart the purposes of Almighty God. Nothing. 
They made the tomb as secure as they know how. But if you look ahead in the story, which we'll come back to next time, look at Matthew 28, 2. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And the tomb is opened. The seal is broken. The guards are scattered. scattered. The tomb is empty. And Jesus Christ has risen. Their, all their effort to make the tomb as secure as they knew how was absolutely futile. The futility of unbelief. Nothing was going to keep the, uh, prevent the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing will prevent the purposes of Almighty God from being fulfilled. Well, a little later in the story of the early church, a few years later, there was this distinguished young rabbi by the name of Saul. And he joined in all the hostility against Christians and would round them up and arrest them and put them in prison. And it was Saul's goal to destroy Christianity and to make his religion, Judaism, as secure as he knew how. And he got warrants for the arrest of Christians in Damascus and What we're told in Acts chapter 9 is that as he was making his way to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him. Saul had made all his efforts to protect his religion, to, to destroy Christianity, to make his religion as secure as he knew how. The absolute futility of unbelief. Nothing will prevent the work of Almighty God from being accomplished. We have seen throughout all the histor- history of the, the Bible, uh, Satan seeking to destroy God's kingdom and to establish his own kingdom. We've seen his efforts to thwart the purposes of God. We see him in the Garden of Eden as he tempts Eve to take of the forbidden fruit. We see him in Egypt as he's prompting Pharaoh to try to exterminate all the Israelites. Uh, We see him waging war against the incarnate Son of God. At Jesus' birth, Satan prompts Herod in his hatred to pursue all the infants in Bethlehem and and kill all the, the little ones there. He comes to Christ after his baptism and tempts him, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Here are all the kingdoms of the world. I will, if, I will give them all to you if you will bow and worship me. The utter futility of Satan seeking to oppose the kingdom of God. He prompted the rulers of the Jews against Christ. He filled Judas's heart and prompted him to, to betray Christ. Jesus was crucified and buried And perhaps superficially, it looked like Satan had won. Jesus was dead. 
He's buried. The kingdom of Christ is done. And my kingdom will be established as sure as I know how. But nothing he could do will prevent the mighty work of Almighty God and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even though he's a defeated foe, he's, his hatred is not ended. He's still seeking to overthrow the purposes of God. He's, he, in the early church, he raised up various em- emperors to oppose and to, to persecute the early church. Uh, beginning with Emperor Nero and how Nero used Christians as human torches in his garden parties uh, in Rome. He raised up emperors Decius and Valerian and Diocletian to exercise some of the most fierce persecution against Christians. And one of the latter ones of that early period was a man by the name of Julian the Apostate. In eighty three sixty one to three sixty three, and he too set about to destroy the church and to make his kingdom established as sure as he knew how. But he takes the troops into battle, and he's mortally wounded. And as he lay dying, he cries out, O Galilean, you have conquered. Absolute futility of unbelief. Nothing will prevent the work and the purposes of Almighty God to be fulfilled. Do you fear the purposes of the evil one in our world? We see it. We see it very vividly. If you watch the news, we know it's happening. We know it's going on. The chief priests tried to secure their world against Christ. Saul tried to secure his traditions as best he knew how. Satan tries to secure his own evil kingdom the best he knows how. But nothing will prevent the victory of King Jesus. And you and I need to not fear the work of the evil one. As distressing as it sometimes is. And the question I ask you, has the Galilean conquered you? There are many non-Christians, particularly They try to guard their heart. They try to secure their heart in the best way they know how. Maybe they've heard the gospel. Maybe they've even been to a church service, perhaps. But they secure their own way through activity, through the pursuit of pleasure or addictions of one form or another. And they endeavor to make their heart as secure as they know how against the rule and the love of Jesus Christ. And the teaching of the word of God is there is nothing that can prevent the work of Christ in their heart. 
the power of the resurrected one. Maybe you have a loved one. Maybe you've struggled with that yourself. The question before you and me today is, has the Galilean conquered us? Has the Galilean conquered you? He will conquer all his and our enemies. Has he conquered you? And the call to you is to bow to him, to embrace him, to love him, and find in him your joy and your peace. And may that great work of Jesus be true in you and in our church. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ of the victory of your love. We thank you for the truth and the reality as seen in in the event that we read about today, how there is nothing that can prevent your glorious and holy purposes from being fulfilled. We thank you, O Lord, for the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and that that secure tomb could do nothing to prevent that. Help us as we deal with uncertainties in our world, fearful circumstances in our own personal lives at times. Help us to know that your your wonderful, loving, holy purposes will be accomplished in us. May we be those in whom Christ has conquered. And that with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength, we will love him and embrace him and bow before him. For the glory of your holy name, we ask all these things. Amen.